percent here to get a more affordable and supportive housing built and get more housing built generally and get it built faster. Sure, all the candidates talk about the same things. The problem is getting it done. A new term facing the same issues. The promises made by Toronto's mayor and the challenges he may be up against. Good evening. Less than 24 hours after securing his third term as Toronto's mayor, John Tory says he is getting right to work. The first task, he says, is addressing the city's housing shortage and affordability crisis. But after eight years in the chair already, some suggest Tory's intent may be a case of too little, too late. Our Raheem Ladani joins us now at City Hall tonight. Raheem. Well, Nathan and Michelle, Mayor John Tory says he has unfinished business he wants to see through before the end of his term four years from now. However, the path towards fulfilling his mandate may not be straightforward. The lights were on in John Tory's office even before sunrise. And the newly re-elected mayor has one goal in mind make sure that when I retire in four years that we are, you know, on top and stayed on top and, and remain one of the most livable, desirable places in the world to be. And that's what we are right now. After winning nearly two-thirds of the votes in Monday's election, Tory is vowing to finish the work he started eight years ago. At the top of his priority list are two things. The $28 billion transit plan that includes completion of the Eglinton Crosstown West extension, the Scarborough subway extension and the Ontario line. The other is housing. We're sent here to get a more affordable and supportive housing built and get more housing built generally and get it built faster. But achieving these lofty objectives may be challenging. One of the major limitations for the city is that it can't go into debt. The City of Toronto has an $875 million shortfall in its 2022 budget. With Tory vowing to keep property taxes low, political experts believe his campaign promises may be left unfulfilled. He's going to keep the increases below inflation. So how are these things going to get done? I predict we'll still be talking about them in four years. Election night saw voters send a number of new faces to City Hall. In total, there are seven new members on Toronto Council. Amber Morley, Alejandro Bravo, Asma Malik, Diane Sachs, Chris Moyes, Lily Chang, Jamal Myers. And there are two returning councillors, Vincent Crisanti, John Burnside. Despite the fresh faces, voter turnout hit a record low. We need to do a serious rethink on how we engage the citizens, the residents of Toronto in their own city hall. While official numbers won't be released until next month, early data suggests 29% of voters turned out, a significant drop from the 41% who voted in the 2018 municipal election. Now, in terms of getting things done at City Hall, if the mayor and councillors butt heads, Tory does have a new tool in his arsenal this term. It's called Strong Mayor Powers. It was recently introduced by the Ford government and will allow Tory to potentially push his agenda forward even without council support. Reporting live, I'm Raheem Ladani. Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right. Thank you, Raheem. And as Raheem reported, there are new faces on Toronto City Council who will need to work with Tory on his priorities. One of those is Usma Malik. Coming up a little bit later, we profile her story and look at how council chambers across the GTA are looking more like the regions they represent.
Until then, if you need to know more about Toronto City Council and who will be involved in this new session, just head to our website. We have all the results from last night at ctvnewstoronto.ca. Home renters and owners are also on the minds of our provincial lawmakers. The Ford government tonight pushing plans aimed at tackling the housing crisis in Ontario. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now with details on that. Siobhan. Michelle, we saw new legislation today that builds on a similar bill that was introduced back in March. This is to get the government closer to the goal of building 1.5 million homes by 2031. This time around, they're focusing on building density near transit hubs and in neighborhoods that have typically been only for single-family homes. For the minister in charge, the housing crisis has gone well beyond a case of nimbyism. We're at the point of banana, where it's built absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. We can't continue to do the same things. We have to stop doing the things that aren't working and start to make the changes that Ontarians need. It means building up density near transit stations and waiving or cutting some fees developers pay. For example, if we want to ensure affordable housing and inclusionary zoning units, we want to make sure they're exempt from development charges, from parkland dedication fees and from community benefits charges. The opposition has questions about where that might leave cities whose budgets have been strained by the pandemic. We want to make sure the Ontario government has a real plan uh, to make sure municipalities um, have, you know, have the resources necessary to provide the building and the services for current and new residents. The government will allow up to three homes on one residential property without asking to bend bylaws, say a detached home with a basement apartment and another unit in the yard. The rule would apply across the province. The Green Party leader thinks the government could have done one better. Bringing in as of right zoning for quadplexes would enable us to significantly increase supply within our existing urban boundary and without having to weaken things like conservation authorities. The government says it's consolidating and streamlining how conservation authorities issue permits for homes in flood-prone areas. Conservation authorities are uh, still going to play the role they were born to play, which is to protect people and property. But we uh, all need to be making sure we're doing our part to uh, achieve this goal of 1.5 million homes in the coming years. Those groups will evaluate which conservation lands might be able to be used for housing. The government's now telling the 29 biggest cities in the province how many homes they expect them to build on an individual basis. For Toronto, that number's 285,000. The government isn't indicating at this point, though, there'll be any penalty if the, that goal is not met. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. So two levels of government today promising measures to help provide a roof over your heads. But for those who need it most, will those words translate into action soon enough? CTV's Janice Golding is with us now with that angle. Janice. Hi, Nathan. Housing affordability is top of mind for so many Torontonians. So today we spoke to advocates, homeowners and renters alike to gauge their reaction to the announcement. I've had projects that have taken two and a half years to get approval that were fairly straightforward projects, and I've had projects that have taken literally 10 years. Andrea Adams is the executive director of St. Clair's, a private nonprofit developer that builds affordable housing in our city, like this 20-unit complex at Ossington and DuPont. But it is a long and painful process to have that happen. That's why Adams says she welcomes an announcement by the province to make it easier for Ontarians to build more housing units on their own properties. I think it's really important. I think it's important that, uh, that we address the housing crisis like it is a crisis, that we stop dithering around, and that any opportunity that there is to introduce more density, whether it's uh, 
really high density high rises or whether it's gentle density it, uh, within neighborhoods. Every neighborhood has a responsibility. There's no question the cost of housing is top of mind for many Torontonians. It's absolutely expensive. Over here it's around $2,000 for one bedroom It's hard to live here because the cost is high. It's very hard to enjoy life much, especially if you're spending all your money on rent. The Progressive Conservatives' plan would override municipal zoning laws to allow people to construct up to three units on single residential lots without lengthy planning approvals, meaning basement apartments, garden or laneway houses, and duplexes and triplexes. I think we do need more density. I think that's, uh, I think that's part of the solution. Consider doing this? Absolutely, 100%. I'm very happy about it. Although some people say, not in my backyard. Who looked for Hartman to rent? You know, who would go that way? You know the people who go that way is low-income people. And these majority of them, they have like, more respect for people's property. And now what we're going to be doing is adding 26 more, so more than doubling the, the size of the project. Still, Andrea Adams says a lack of affordable housing impacts everyone, from the price of labor to our taxes, adding we also have to think of future generations. As we've heard, the PC's goal is to create a million and a half new homes across our province within the next 10 years, with Toronto on the hook for 285,000 units. Reporting live from Janice Golding, now back to Nathan. All right, thank you, Janice. The sun is setting on another beautiful day in this city. A lot of us hoping our run of sun will continue for a while longer. Lindsay Morrison's here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Well, Nathan, we will see a little less in the way of sun for tomorrow, a little more in the way of cloud cover, and eventually some rain. But what is sticking around? The mild temperatures. Take a look at where we stand right now. 17 degrees this hour in Pickering, Scarborough, as well as Mississauga. A little bit cooler in Oakville and Burlington once again, thanks to an easterly wind off the lake. It's 17 degrees at Pearson International. We had a mix of sun and cloud today. You can see the cloud cover that increased a little bit earlier on today. Here's what's on the way for tomorrow. We've got a cold front that's going to swing through. It will bring us rain. It will also eventually cool us down. But the sun will be back. We'll talk all about it coming up in your seven-day forecast. For now, though, Michelle, I'll send it to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Over the skies of Brampton tonight, the scene of a collision involving a dump truck and some power lines. Police say the vehicle had its bucket raised when it hit the wires. Traffic lights are down, and officers expect this area around Kenview Boulevard and Finch Avenue West will be closed for a few more hours. No injuries have been reported. Returning to Monday's elections, they ushered in a new era in a lot of municipalities across the province. And despite choosing the same mayor for another term, Toronto is included. With nine new electees, its council has become a better reflection of voters, including Ward 10's Osma Malik. Our Allison Hurst joins us now with a look at one of last night's groundbreaking winners. Allison. We spoke with Usman Malik earlier today and she said she's really looking forward to representing this riding. It's one she says she both works and lives in and her number one issue she's going to take to council day one is housing affordability. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Usma Malik greets supporters the day after making history as Toronto's first hijab wearing city councillor. How are you feeling today? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling it's incredible. I'm energized. I, it's a bit surreal. It's still sinking in. When her race was called, she thought of her mom. Shortly after I registered, I lost my mom. What do you think she would have said to you? Um, she would have said she was proud <laughs> and, uh, and that, um, that I'd worked really hard and that I should be proud too.
Malik is the councillor-elect for Ward 10 Spadina, Fort York, spanning a large swath of the southern downtown core. How are you going to find a way to represent everybody in this area? For me, it's about being able to see our neighborhoods as the distinct places that they are, and also to be able to see where our shared vision and our shared challenges are, as well as our shared opportunities. She was elected as a school trustee in 2014, and during that race, she says she faced Islamophobia. But this election campaign, Malik says, was an improvement. We have a lot of work to do around representation and what our expectations are about leadership in this city, right? I would sometimes go to a door and it would uh, be a double take. It would take a moment for people to realize that I am also the person who's running, not here on behalf of somebody. Um, and a lot of assumptions made, right, about my background, my experience, my capability. Housing affordability is her top priority. Seeing her new perspective on council as an asset. It means that more people in the city can see themselves in leadership, especially when it's about setting the direction um, of our communities and making sure that we're actually valuing the experiences, the backgrounds, and progressive political leadership looking as many different ways as we are people in this city. Malik ran against 11 other candidates in this riding and cruised to victory with 36% of the vote. Her nearest challenger was vested by about 15 points. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Allison. Andrea Horvath has made a victorious return to the place where it all started for her. The former leader of the provincial NDP is Hamilton's new mayor. It's pretty exciting for me. It's uh, it what it's what um, motivates me, and it's where my passion came from in the first place. So I'm absolutely thrilled. Horvath believes her experience was a big factor in winning last night. She becomes the city's first female mayor. Horvath's career in politics began in her hometown. Another former provincial party leader starting a new political chapter. Stephen Delduca was elected mayor of Vaughan in a close race. In Mississauga, Bonnie Crombie will serve a third consecutive term as mayor after a landslide victory. Elsewhere in the GTA, Patrick Brown is returning as the mayor of Brampton in what was also turned out to be a no contest. Obviously, it was uh, um, uh, an interesting election. We faced a lot of uh, out-of-town hired campaign guns coming to um, sort of bring mudslinging and negativity, but it's, it's such a relief to see that the residents of of Brampton rejected that in such an overwhelming fashion. Brown was largely considered the front-runner despite months of infighting with councillors. This will be his second term as mayor. That political infighting will be top of mind for Brampton city councillors, including Najat Kaur Brar. As CTV's Shanli Thong explains, Brar says one of her key objectives will be to build bridges while she breaks down barriers. Hi everyone, my name is Navjeet Kaur Brar, your city council candidate for wards 2 and 6. Oh. I'm not a candidate anymore. Oh, my goodness. She's still getting used to the new title, but Navjeet Kaur Brar is making history as the first turban-wearing Sikh woman elected to public office in Canada. It feels amazing. Our team has done amazing. I'm so proud of everyone. I want to thank you, everyone, for doing such a great job. I was born and raised in Brampton, and now I'm raising my kids here. The mother of three was able to defeat former Conservative MP Jermaine Chambers and Carmen Wilson, taking just over 28% of the vote. 
As a frontline health care worker, she saw what she says was an underserviced city. I've been working as a respiratory therapist for 12 years, especially during the pandemic. We saw that we had one hospital for 700,000 people, and it was hard for me. Brar says that focus will be on eventually having three hospitals in Brampton. But Brampton Council has been famously divided as of late. Brar has also previously been a new Democrat candidate in a provincial election, but she says she's ready to work with Mayor Patrick Brown. I've been working on a health care team for so many years. We don't get to pick and choose who we want to work with. Our goal is the patient. Outside her campaign office today, Brar was consistently greeted by residents offering their congratulations. And she says as the first turban-wearing sick woman to be elected, she's able to celebrate both the real and symbolic meaning of this moment. I'm so excited, so proud that, you know, regardless of what, uh, you know, religion or faith you come from, you should become whatever you want to become. And while her election may be a first, Navjeet Kaur Brar now is tasked with being part of a solution in improving the relationship and council in Brampton. Sean Lee Thong, CTV News. The new details tonight into a case involving a self-professed crypto king from Whitby. Our digital teams obtained legal documents related to an alleged scam that may have netted at least $35 million. Legal action has been filed against Aidan Platursky, who was petitioned by 150 investors into bankruptcy. To read the full story, visit our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. Hockey Canada will halt the collection of fees that financed funds used in part to settle sexual assault claims. The participant assessment fee was typically $3 per player. Several provincial organizations, including Ontario, had already been withholding the fees in the wake of widespread criticism of Hockey Canada. It paid an undisclosed settlement to a woman after she alleged she was sexually assaulted by eight men, including members of the 2018 Men's World Junior Team. Well, breaking news for this hour, there's word right now industry minister Francois-Philippe Champagne's rejected a deal between Rogers and Shaw. The deal would have seen the transfer of wireless spectrum licenses from Shaw to Rogers. Champagne says he's left the door open for a revised deal. Canada's public safety minister is dismissing concerns about an email sent to his office just hours before the government invoked the Emergencies Act last winter. It came up today at the inquiry in Ottawa where more cracks were revealed in the response to the convoy protest. CTV's Judy Trin has those details. This represents the biggest challenge Ottawa police had in dealing with the Freedom Convoy. The force had experience dealing with protesters, but not when they were backed up by big rigs. Hundreds of vehicles traveled across Canada and jammed up streets across dozens of blocks in the city's core, taking up valuable police resources. We were redirecting them, keeping, trying to uh, keep intersections, emergency roads uh, clear, and, but they would start to weave through different side streets. It would have been impossible to, to stop them. It all began with vague legal advice from Ottawa police lawyers who stated demonstrators can't obstruct travel but that the courts did permit one blockade for a brief period. I might have wanted to go back to my legal staff and said, this is a great memo, um, it's very comprehensive, but what can I do? And I think if that question had been posed, what can I do? As a constitutional lawyer, my answer would have been, you can shut this protest down. It also emerged that on February 14th, hours before the Emergencies Act was enacted, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky wrote to the Chief of Staff of the Public Safety Minister. She said that not all available tools had been exhausted. But today, Marco Menicino stood firm. This was a government decision. 
Um, we uh, listened carefully to the, uh, the array advice that we were getting at the time. We consulted uh, with various partners uh, provincially, territorially, et cetera. But we took the decision because it was necessary. We took the decision because this was a situation that was without precedent. The inquiry is also revealing conflicting strategies from within the Ottawa Police Service on how to handle the protesters. Senior officers on the ground wanted to negotiate an exit, but say the order from the chief's office was not to give them an inch. Former chief Peter Slowly will testify later this week. Judy Trin, CTV News, Ottawa. The Emergencies Act inquiry was also raised in Queen's Park today as MPPs returned to work. At issue, the request for the Premier and the former Solicitor General to testify at the hearing. On September 19th, the Federal Public Order Emergency Commission requested an interview with the Premier and Minister Jones on the use of the Federal Emergencies Act this past winter. But the Premier and Minister have refused this request and all subsequent requests to be interviewed or testify before the Commission. Speaker, why did the Premier and Minister refuse the Commission's request. This is certainly a, a policing matter and, uh, and not a, a political matter. This is a, a, federal, uh, a federal Commission which is uh, looking into the uh, federal government's invocation of the Federal Emergencies Act. Now, we are providing assistance to the Commission by uh, submitting uh, uh, key Cabinet documents and, of course, uh, ensuring that witnesses are available to the Commission. Inquiry committee members say Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones have both refused requests to appear voluntarily at the hearings. The two are fighting the summons, saying they'll take the matter to court. CTV News has learned a Canadian woman held in Syria over links to ISIS has been freed. Kimberly Pullman was detained in the northern Syrian detention camp for three years after being arrested by Kurdish forces. The British Columbia woman had married a member of ISIS. She met him online and served. But after arriving in Syria, she claimed abuse and rape at the hands of the terrorist group. Pullman is reported to have left the camp with another Canadian woman and her daughter. Their departure comes eight months after U.N. experts urged the Canadian government to bring Pullman home. Meanwhile, Brittany Griner's appeal of her nine-year prison sentence has been rejected by a Russian court. I've been here almost eight months, and people with more severe crimes have gotten less than what I was given. The U.S. basketball star was convicted in August after police said they found vape canisters containing cannabis oil in her luggage. Griner's sentence will consider time served in custody. That will likely mean eight years behind bars. The youngest British prime minister in more than 200 years is spending his first night at 10 Downing Street. Rishi Sunak was officially asked to form the government today and quickly began work on what many see as a daunting task ahead. CTV's Glenn McGregor reports from London. A scene that has become increasingly frequent in Britain, a politician arriving for an audience at Buckingham Palace. Invited by the king to form a government, Conservative leader Rishi Sunak is now the UK's third Prime Minister just this year. Earlier in the day, departing leader Liz Truss gave perfunctory best wishes to her successor. I wish Rishi Sunak every success. And then made her own trip to the palace to resign. Now the official resident at 10 Downing Street, Sunak thanked Truss and gently critiqued her brief time in the job. I admired her restlessness to create change, but some mistakes were made. In his first speech as Prime Minister, Sunak laid out the challenges facing his new government. 
Right now, our country is facing a profound economic crisis. The aftermath of COVID still lingers. Putin's war in Ukraine has destabilized energy markets and supply chains the world over. Justin Trudeau offered a statement of congratulations and promised to work with Sunak to address Russia's illegal and unjustifiable invasion of Ukraine, economic uncertainty and climate change. The U.S. president remarked on Sunak becoming the first person of color to hold the job. Pretty astounding. A groundbreaking milestone and it matters. It matters. With the formalities completed, Sunak got to work trying to mend the divisions within his party, warning MPs the Conservatives must unite or die. Sunak's first job today was shuffling the cabinet that he inherited, moving out some loyal to his predecessors, but all focused on what he calls the difficult choices his government must make about the economy in days to come. Glenn McGregor, CTV News, London. It was an important act of remembrance that will be repeated by millions of Canadians in the coming days. Today and every day, I will continue to remember, honour and support our veterans, and I will encourage all Canadians to do the same. The Governor-General was presented with the first poppy of this year's National Poppy Campaign. Today, Mary Simon hosted a ceremony at Rideau Hall where she pinned poppies on special guests that included veterans and cadets. Poppies will be available to the public starting on Friday. Digital poppies will also be available. Coming up, it's a first in this country. The GTA is getting a small modular reactor as part of a nearly billion-dollar investment from the feds what this innovation in nuclear technology is and what it could mean for your electricity bills. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, finding a place to rent in the GTA can be difficult and expensive. One family thought they had an apartment to move into and paid an $1,800 deposit, but the landlord gave the unit to someone else and kept their money. We investigate. That story is just ahead. Well, much like this summer, our rainfall totals have been below average so far this fall. We're almost through October. Here's a look at how much rain we've had this month. There is some rain on the way for tomorrow, but not a lot. We'll dry out for Thursday, and then our next best chance for showers could be Halloween. Speaking of which, we'll be sharing your photos coming up. Your weather forecast is just ahead. And stay with us, because we've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. If you're searching for a place to rent in the GTA, it can be frustrating to find one. And prices have been rising steadily. One family says despite being approved and giving a deposit, they were denied an apartment unit at the last minute. Pat Foran has the story on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle and Nathan. A family planned to move into an apartment in Brampton last month. They were approved and gave a deposit of $1,800. But a day before they were supposed to move in, they were told it wasn't available and they've been unable to get their money back. <laughs> Ashley Thompson has a new baby boy and she and her growing family were hoping to move into their own place on September the 1st. They're currently staying with her parents. We just wanted to get out on our own and have our own little family together. Finding a place to rent had been difficult and that's why they were relieved to get an apartment unit in Brampton. On July 18th, Golden Equity Properties told them, We are pleased to advise you your rental application has been approved. 
Thompson gave the company a deposit of $1,800, but one day before they were supposed to move in, they were told, your rental application was in fact refused. We regret the inconvenience. They said that they actually had rented the unit to somebody else. We were shocked and uh, very hurt by it because, you know, we were very excited. We actually had uh, my son's first birthday party planned there. When they were denied the unit, they asked for their $1,800 deposit back. After a month and a half, they still haven't received it. We weren't able to get into the unit that uh, we were approved for originally. And so, you know, we'd like to get the money back so that we can uh, find another rental. The landlord agreed to a contract that once they take your money, that's it. They're supposed to rent to you. Tenant advocate Jordy Dent says if a rental agreement falls through, a landlord must return any deposit to the potential renter. If you give money for an apartment, you've got to get an apartment back. If uh, things don't work out, again, the landlord is supposed to return your money. When CTV News reached out to Golden Equity Properties, a spokesperson said there was some misinformation on the landlord's end. We apologize for our error. They are being reimbursed their deposit in full. That was a huge relief for Thompson's family. They returned our money to us. We're really happy now because now we can uh, get back on the hunt and uh, try and find somewhere to go. Thank you so much, CTV. And rental prices have gone up about 20% in the GTA over the past year. It's currently considered a landlord's market, meaning it's hard for some renters to find an affordable place to live. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. It's nice and warm out there for an evening at this late stage in October, but our dry spell's coming to an end. I know, I mean, you can't get greedy. You want more, but it can't go on forever. And you know what? We haven't had a lot of rain so far this fall, and we didn't have a lot of rain in the summer, so this is necessary, a little bit of rain in October. The nice news is that we're still going to be mild through the day tomorrow. However, the winds are going to pick up and will be a little bit cooler by the time Thursday rolls around. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Let's begin with a look at the satellite and radar imagery. Maybe you noticed a little more cloud out there today. We had fog early in the morning. We had a little bit of smog as well, but now that has cleared out. Rain is on the way. You can see this disturbance waiting in the wings. Uh, it's not going to soak us all day long tomorrow. In fact, uh, the morning hours look to be the driest. It's through the afternoon and the early part of the evening that we're really going to need the rain gear, even though it's not a whole lot of rain. Let's detail the timing for you as this plays out. So again, tomorrow morning, uh, maybe more cloud than sun, but hopefully some sunny periods in many different parts of the GTA. By about the noon hour, west end of the GTA starting to see some wet weather. Uh, midway through the afternoon, it's impacting the downtown core and Toronto East GTA. A little later on in the afternoon, by the evening, we're still in the thick of it. This is going to have, happen on and off through the evening hours before some clearing overnight. Thursday is a drier day. The sun will return, but again, a fresher feel behind that cold front. Not so much tonight. It is warm overnight tonight. 13 is our forecast low in Toronto. Believe it or not, that's warmer than our average daytime high at this time of year. Tomorrow, yes, it's a little more unsettled, mainly cloudy skies. Winds will shift to more of a southerly direction, and again, those winds will pick up. Our afternoon high will be about 16 degrees, so still on the mild side. 
our normal temperature for this time of year is about 11. Peterborough, you could climb to 18 degrees. Look at Bancroft, maybe one more 20 degree day and then things change a little bit. So here's the seven day forecast. Mainly sunny skies for your Thursday, a high of 12. Cooler still into Friday with a little more cloud cover, about 10 degrees. Right now the weekend is looking pleasant. Sunshine and 14 degrees on Saturday, 12 and a mix of sun and cloud for Sunday. Keeping my eye on Monday, which of course is Halloween. Right now it's a 30% chance of showers with mostly cloudy skies. That's a look at the weather for now. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. With the winter months quickly creeping up, a lot of us will be thinking about how much heat and energy we're using, including our governments. Tonight, there is a new billion-dollar investment on the books to build a small nuclear reactor in Ontario near Darlington. As our Beth McDonnell reports, both its price tag and long-term effects are being questioned. It's called the Darlington Small Modular Reactor and has the ability to supply electricity to 300,000 homes. Canada Infrastructure Bank, a crown corporation, is partnering with Ontario Power Generation, investing $970 million to have this new technology up and running by 2028. The goal here is to get the technology built while making sure that it's affordable to Ontario ratepayers over the long term. The project has support from Ottawa and Queen's Park. Taking reporters' questions, the bank didn't reveal the interest rate on the funds. OPG says the cost of the reactor is very competitive. It doesn't make sense to use federal tax dollars to subsidize a new nuclear reactor. The Ontario Clean Energy Alliance says investments in wind and solar energy and hydro from Quebec can provide power at half the price. It also warns about the lack of permanent safe storage for nuclear waste away from shorelines. Enhancing the nuclear option I think is a particularly positive idea. When it comes to electricity bills, this sustainable energy expert says nuclear energy is not only a decarbonizing option, but also one sheltered from the market fluctuations of, say, natural gas. The, the positive thing here is that nuclear tends to be a capital-intensive uh, sector, uh, but the amount of energy that is produced is actually quite large. So the unit energy cost that will translate into what you really pay for energy uh, turns out to be generally quite small. He says by managing costs over time, the price for units would also be relatively low, even though the $970 million price tag now sounds like a lot of money. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. Just ahead, awarded for excellence, she's graced film and TV screens and learned big lessons along the way, getting to know Toronto's own Aluna K. Adeli. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. An actress who hosted the Excellence Awards Gala is now a recipient of the honour. Aluna K. Adeli has appeared in dozens of film and television roles and has learned by standing up for herself she can truly succeed. CTV's Andrea Case joins us with her story. Andrea. Michelle and Nathan, good evening. Yes, with roles in Flashpoint, Working Moms, and The Porter, Olunoke Odele is a staple on TV. But today we caught up with the actor on the first day of rehearsals for a revival of the award-winning show, The Cake in My Hair. You think I need a partner? I think you need a man that knows every band in them trains. Alunake Adelie first began performing on church stages in Canada and Jamaica as a child. I want to tell stories from my point of view that um, reflected people that look like me. 
um, stories that I've grown up with, uh, folklore like Anansi and um, it, yeah, not uh, just get fed stories that I couldn't relate to. Then in middle school, when she was cast as the artful daughter in Oliver, she really caught the acting bug. No rules are the same. I tend to um, make them drastic for a reason so that I'm not uh, typecast into one role. I want to always be able to diversify myself and challenge myself. But it wasn't until Adelia entered her 40s, about five years ago, she realized the power of the word no. I just say no. It's really important to own that no, and no is a full sentence. But at first, it wasn't always like that. Of course, you're just trying to get in and fit in where you can. Um, but um, eventually, I said, okay, no, I have to take my destiny into my own hands because I need to be happy in this business. And people have taken notice of her work. I don't focus on accolades, um, but I'm honored by them because... Um, like we, we all know, it's not the easiest business for anyone, but for black women, it, it can get really hard. And so I'll take the accolades and know that they re represent not just me, but all the ones that are looking at me, all the little black girls that are looking at me. It, the award is for them. Mm, amen. Well, on Saturday, the Excellence Awards Gala showcases the achievements of those that have made a difference in the lives of people of African descent and transformed the communities where they live. One of the other award recipients this year is Michael Pinball Clemens. Reporting live, I'm Andrea Case for CTV News. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. A contagious virus on the rise. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. How to reduce your child's risk of infection and spot the warning signs. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. CP24 Breakfast is brought to you by McDonald's McMuffin Sandwiches. We're sent here to manage the city's finances and not add to the affordability crisis. Updating our top stories, John Tory says affordable housing will be a key priority of his third term as Toronto mayor. Tory says there will also be a major focus on expanding transit, safer roads, and creating new parks. We're going to be freezing, reducing, and exempting government charges. For example, if we want to ensure affordable housing and inclusionary zoning units, we want to make sure they're exempt from development charges. The province has announced sweeping housing changes which will override municipal zoning laws in some cases. Under the legislation, up to three units will be allowed on a single residential lot without any bylaw amendments or municipal permissions. What I'm excited about is that I'm not the only new face. Um, looking at the results from across the city, it is very clear that people across Toronto are hungry for change. There will be nine new faces on Toronto City Council this year, including Ozma Malik. She has made history as the first hijab-wearing Muslim councillor elected to office. In Brampton, Najib Korbrar has made history as the first turban-wearing Sikh woman elected to public office in Canada. Remember to follow us on social media and keep up to date day and night through our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. And if you have a news tip, photos, or video of breaking news, let us know. In business, it could be a make-or-break week for big tech. A handful of companies are reporting earnings results for the latest quarter. It could give some insight into how the companies, the economy, and consumers are holding up. With more, here's Jacqueline Hansen from BNN Bloomberg. 
Google's Alphabet and Microsoft reported after markets closed today. Alphabet missed estimates on slowing ad growth, and Microsoft is feeling the pressure of a strong U.S. dollar on its international sales. Shares of both companies are under pressure in after-hours trading. Next up, we'll get results from Twitter and Facebook's Meta platforms tomorrow. And on Thursday, Apple and Amazon. Shares of Alphabet, Microsoft, and Amazon have fallen nearly 30% this year, while Meta shares have plunged nearly 60%. A big Meta shareholder has pushed for the company to pull back spending on the so-called Metaverse, saying it has lost its focus. More broadly, investors have moved away from high-growth tech stocks that may not pay off in a high-interest-rate environment. Still, a well-known analyst told BNN Bloomberg he's expecting tech stocks to pick up the momentum into the end of the year. Wedbush's Dan Ives says he's expecting a rally for tech of 10 to 20 percent. Meanwhile, in other earnings, Coca-Cola reported a pop in sales and increased its expectations for the full year. It says inflation-squeezed customers are still buying but choosing bigger value packs. Plus, the return of in-person events in theaters and stadiums have been a boost. The company says some international shipping costs have come down, but not in the U.S., where fuel and labor costs are still high. Let's take a look at some of the closing market numbers for today. The Canadian dollar is trading higher by more than half a cent to 73.5 cents U.S. West Texas Intermediate Oil gained almost 75 cents to roughly $85 U.S. a barrel. And Western Canadian Select declined about 30 cents to $58 U.S. a barrel. As for stock markets, the TSX ended the day higher by nearly 180 points to 19,097.01. That is the latest in business. I'm Jacqueline Hansen of BNM Bloomberg. Just ahead, a potential game changer in airport safety. How high-flying tech is being deployed at Pearson to spot potential danger on the runway. Tonight, growing losses from Canada's labor shortage. If we had those extra staff, it'd be easier to spread the workload. Short-staffed and struggling to meet demand on the eve of another anticipated interest rate hike. Later on CTV National News. And a reminder, the CTV News at 6 podcast is available as a download every weeknight. And you can also listen to the newscast live on News Talk 1010. Get Toronto's top stories, breaking news alerts, and watch live. Download the CTV News app. There's something unusual in the skies above Toronto's Pearson Airport. It's not a plane. It is a drone trying some new technology the company behind it says could make runways safer. CTV's John Woodward has the story. At the side of a runway at Pearson International Airport, a crew prepares this drone mounted with a camera. But everything after takeoff is up to the program. The drone is completely moving and operating on its own right now. It's doing a sweep of the runway, taking high-resolution pictures with a purpose. We're looking for cracking out here, we're looking for spalling and anything else that might, you know, give us a sense of the integrity of this surface. It's a serious issue. Any stray objects can damage airplanes when they take off or land. Currently, searches of runways like this are not easy. 
It's manually done with people will have somebody in a vehicle that they have to go drive up and down the runways, really inspect them, do that full job there, which can take a lot of time. And you have to shut down a runway when you're doing that type of thing. This is the kind of operation that would take days to do manually. But thanks to the drone, the eye in the sky, they say they can have this done in a matter of hours. The pictures are fed into a machine learning algorithm to identify problems. The crew with BC-based Nerickson Software tested their technology out on an unused airport near Killaloe, Ontario. They've also examined other infrastructure like hydro dams. And on that dam, we actually identified over one million cracks using computer vision. And so we did the math. This would have taken a human working every single hour of the day for two years straight uh, to do themselves. 1.8 meters per second. This is the first time the technology funded by Transport Canada has been used on an operational airport and officials here are excited about its potential. This could really uh, revolutionize things for us and, and change the way that we do inspections. If it works... Do every single airport in the world, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, we have a big vision at our company. Hoping their Canadian technology will take off. John Woodward, CTV News. Looks like it. Mm-hmm. So Halloween is in sight. Potentially the weather's looking unsettled, but in the meantime, we put out the call for your Halloween costume picks, and they delivered. Yeah, looking forward to taking a look at some of those costumes. Yes, well, we have some great ones to share with you tonight. I want to begin with uh, a couple of furry friends who are all set for the holiday. A big thank you to everyone who's been sharing Halloween photos this week. We love them. Here we have Molly, Hank, and Darla in Whitby showing off their positively perfect costumes. Uh, this, I think, is pretty cool as well. Ben and Zarita tell me that they paint and donate pumpkins to a local school every year. How cool is that? And finally, for tonight, we have Sawyer looking ever so sweet next to her minion pumpkin. That is so creative. Love these photos. Keep them coming. We will be sharing them all week long leading up to Halloween. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And while we're talking about Halloween, yes, it is still a few days out. Here's one more early look at Halloween on the seven-day forecast. Okay, yes, potential for it to be unsettled, but right now it's only a 30% chance of showers, a mostly cloudy day. And then leading up to that, we have the wet weather for tomorrow. Then the sun returns on Thursday for part of Friday. Weekend is looking great. I know we've been talking about the potential to head out to pumpkin patches. Uh, over the next couple of days, you do have quite a few windows to do that. Uh, we've been talking to about the fall colors. They've been starting to uh, move past peak, but great opportunity this week uh, with this nice weather that we've been enjoying to get out, snap a few photos. I know the warm spell that we've been enjoying, that's coming to an end gradually, but it's okay. The weekend still looks great. Nathan and Michelle. Yeah, not bad at all. Thanks, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zarada Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.